All right. Good morning, beautiful people. It is wonderful to be with you guys this morning. And I have to say, I never take it lightly. Um, and this week in particular, because you can just, to me, it's been so good. And I want to make sure that I'm being faithful in delivering what he's speaking. But this, this sermon um, in Ezra, this series has been planned for months. And um, we've had to kind of rearrange the schedule. I almost didn't preach, and I gave content to Nate Johnson for next week. Like, there's just been stuff, but God is orchestrating it, and he's kept it for today. And the word that we're going to be going through is, um, the title is, Staying the Course Despite Opposition. Staying the court despite, staying the course despite opposition. And yesterday, um, we actually had a time with the ladies at Field of Dreams, and a couple ladies shared, and it was just amazing. I sat there being like, wow, God, you're so incredible, and you're speaking so clearly to us. There's some scriptures up here that I don't have time to go through, but I couldn't not put them up here because I could have used any of them in today's preach. So if you have time later and you need encouragement of how, how God is with us in opposition, there's some scriptures here behind me. But... Yeah, I am excited, and we'll just dive right in. You see, you know, opposition, it's, it's a thing that we face, but you know who is not, you know, who's undaunted by opposition is God. Um, and I know people are facing things in our community even today. But when God sets his mind to something, he doesn't get distracted, he doesn't get discouraged, he doesn't forget, he doesn't move on. His purposes remain, and he is faithful to complete the work that he started. And we're diving into this book of Ezra over the next couple of weeks, and if you've read it, that's great. Um, but if you want to open to Ezra with me, it's in, after the book of Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. And a couple of weeks back, Andy gave us a picture, a wider picture of kind of the history of the nation of Israel. Um, and I don't have time to dive into all of it, but because I know it's summer and people have been away, I'll try to catch up a little bit. Pretty much the people of God, God's chosen people, they're not walking with him and they are not serving him. And God has sent messengers and prophets to warn them and tell them, you guys need to change the way you're doing things. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to come back to me. And the people of Israel, they don't, they don't change their ways. And they're actually captured, and they're taken into exile, into Babylon. And Jerusalem and the Lord's temple was leveled and burned. The captors take all those beautiful instruments, the golden things that God instructed them to make. All that gets taken with his people into exile. And God's people find themselves in a foreign land with foreign kings, foreign religions around them. And I'm sure it looked and it felt to many like, all hope had abandoned them once and for all. But God's purposes remain. And after 70 years in captivity in Babylon, God starts to get the ball rolling for his purposes and his people again. And that's actually where we pick up in Ezra. In Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the first year of his reign, the first year of King Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. And in verse 2, he says, The Lord God of heaven has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you 
of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem and rebuild the house of the Lord. So I know that we're just picking up here, but let's just clarify. God moves the heart of a pagan king to let his people go and then tells them, go build the Lord's temple. It's pretty cool, right? God can use anyone. Um, But what's even more amazing is in Isaiah, there's a scripture. It's dry in here. (laughs) In Isaiah, 200 years before any of this goes down, there's a prophet in the Old Testament called Isaiah, and he actually prophesies this. He prophesies of this King Cyrus by name, 200 years before this happens. In Isaiah 44, verse 28, you don't have to turn there, but it should be up. God's saying, I am the God who redeems you. I am the God who brings you out of Egypt. And he says, I'm the God who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built. And of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Now, this is crazy because when he would have prophesied of this guy, Cyrus, nobody would have had any idea who he was talking about. But God's word is so direct and that he's like, I'm going to take this guy and I'm going to use him for my purposes. And God's purposes and God's word withstand the test of time and with circumstance because he is faithful to his purposes. And so in Ezra 1, we see that the Israelites in captivity, as Cyrus makes his proclamation, some of the people are stirred, and they're stirred to go back to Jerusalem and start to build the temple again. And about 40 to 50,000 people are stirred to return. Um, And when you hear the word stirred, or when I'm going through, it actually comes up a lot in the scripture in this And the word stir, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like God's kind of stirring the pot. But it's actually, the original language means to arouse or awaken. So when you hear the word stir, it's like God is coming and he's just waking up hearts. He's like, okay, time to go. Cyrus, time to tell my people to go back. The people that he's stirring to go back. All right, guys, it's time. It's time. My purposes remain. I'm faithful to them. I'm overseeing the work. So when you hear that word stirred, that's what I was thinking. It's just like God's like, wake up, wake up. And we know that some people are harder to wake up than others. (laughs) Um, So then chapter 2, it tells us, in Ezra chapter 2, it tells us all the names of the people that were woken up to go back. Um, It goes through a bunch of names, the heads of the households, um, all these people, the exiles that choose to return, that are awoken to what God is doing. There's actually people that just choose to stay in Babylon, which is kind of mind-boggling, but that's another story. Then in chapter 3, so the exiles, they go back to Jerusalem. They start to rebuild the altar. They start to offer burnt sacrifices. They start to get back to what God asked of them generations ago, to worship in freedom, right? He had taken them out of Egypt all those years ago to worship the Lord in freedom. And so they start to return to worship. The, The builders lay the foundation of the temple of the Lord, just like Cyrus said, right? That prophecy in Isaiah, he says, of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So clearly, so the people are seeing this unfold before their eyes. And it's a beautiful moment for the Israelites because it's like, um, in the scripture, it's Ezra 3 verse 11. And it's like the foundations are laid and there's this moment where there's people are singing. And some of the old men that were taken to exile and then have come back, they're crying. There's men shouting. You can see it's probably just chaos. 
there was a loud noise that was made. And I just picture if it was in like a movie, it would be like this beautiful music happening. Like, oh, it's so great. God brought us back. The foundations are being laid and the credits start to roll. And, you know, they lived happily ever after and the temple was built. But if you look at chapter 4, that is not the heading in the Bible. I don't know what the heading in your Bible is of chapter 4. Um, anybody? The heading? Is anybody in Ezra? Chapter 4? <laughs> what does it say? It says the, adversa- the adversaries, I have trouble with that word, the adversaries oppose the rebuilding. So anybody want to guess what, what happens? Right, like, so you think they've been through enough, right? Like they were just in 70 years of captivity. God brings them back. We see his promises unfolding. That music is playing. People are shouting. People are crying. It's beautiful. And then it's like, boom, roadblock, opposition, resistance. And in verses one through four of Ezra, it pretty much just says that the people in the land, so the adversaries, I'll say that right, so the adversaries of Judah, they hear that the returned exiles are building this temple, and they're like, hey, we'll help. We, we worship your God, which is totally not true, but they're like, we'll help you build his temple. Um, and Zerubbabel, who's, he's the civil head, and Jeshua, who's the high priest of the people of Israel that have returned, they're like, no, thank you. We don't need your help. We'll build it ourselves. Um, and the people of the land didn't take too kindly to their response. And in verse 4, it says, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, even to the days of King Darius. So right away they face discouragement, fear, frustration. And it's not just that. It's not like they're there discouraging them. They literally, the men in that that aren't the Israelites, they write a letter to the king, and time has passed, so now it's a different king. It's not King Cyrus. They write a letter to the king saying, hey, these guys are building a wicked, rebellious city. And the king searches the record, and he's like, yeah, that was a bad city. So he actually sends an edict to stop the work on the temple. So it's like we see God's promises being fulfilled. We see his faithfulness, and then boom, literally an edict to stop the work. So what, did God, did God change his mind? No. In the midst of opposition, God's purposes remain. And I feel like God highlighted three truths in this, and I took some time to lay that foundation because we need to, to live in that revelation and the reality of that certainty that we know no matter what comes, that God's purposes remain, that his timing may be different than ours, that how he does things may not be what we choose, and I don't understand it all a lot of the time, but his purposes remain. We need to be grounded in that revelation. We need to be grounded in what he's commissioned us to do so that when opposition comes, we can trust him. You know, we know God's track record We know his character. We know that he is patient. He is faithful and he is wise. And if we don't have this peace settled of trusting God and trusting that his purposes remain, then opposition will stall us, will throw us, and will get us off track. And so the first key 
that I feel like these are truths that we can hold on to in the midst of opposition is that, is that God's purposes remain in the midst of opposition. And I don't say that lightly because I know there are people facing real things in this room. And, you know, the question always comes of why, you know, why do we face opposition? I don't have time to get into all of it, but in a nutshell, when we say yes to Jesus and we say, Jesus, take the wheel or whatever, I don't like that song, but Jesus, take, take my life, I give it to you, I surrender, I'm yours, then we start to carry the purposes and plans of God in our hearts and our lives. We become passionate about what he's passionate about, right? He gives us a new heart. And we are his vessels. This is, this is his plan A. This is how he's going to get his purposes done, is he's chosen to use people. So as he chooses to use people, and as we become a friend of God when we say yes, we also then have an enemy. And the enemy has his own agenda. And Jesus actually tells us exactly what his agenda is. In John 10.10, in the New Living Translation, it says that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus is saying, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So steal, kill, and destroy. Does that sound like you and I may face some mild opposition? Yeah. And I think if we need to understand that if we are, as human beings, created by God, our body, soul, and spirit, then I think we can expect to encounter opposition in any or all of those areas. I think we can encounter opposition mentally, emotionally, relationally, physically in our bodies, right? Um, With sickness, with health, and spiritually. We can also encounter spiritual opposition. I think we're more aware of spiritual opposition. I think some of the other ones sometimes we're just kind of like, oh, it's just, you know, sometimes you start to step out for God and you take a stand for things and then all of a sudden there's just this relational conflict that you just didn't expect. Opposition can come in many different ways. And I know that for those facing opposition right now, I don't need to tell you what form it's coming in because you're in the thick of it. And God is so faithful to speak to us in the thick of it. But, you know, we are in good company when we face opposition. Jesus, who is our perfect example, he was not off track when he walked this earth. Um, he was, it says that he was following the leading of the Holy Spirit. He says that he only did what he saw the Father doing. But if you think about his life, he faced opposition on almost a daily basis. Right? The religious leaders and the Pharisees would follow him around trying to catch him in what he was saying. The enemy comes to tempt him in the desert. I mean, Judas, one of his own team betrays him. Like, nothing says opposition like betrayal from your team. Jesus faced opposition all the time. And, you know, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he faced a lot of opposition. He was, right, he was put into prison. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. I mean, he kind of, everything. I think they tried to throw him off a cliff. He was chased out of towns. Like, that is opposition. Um, And most of the men and women in the Bible that did amazing things for God and their exploits are written, almost all of them had significant opposition. So I think I've made that point. We will face opposition. But I want to clarify, 
that just because of that reality, it doesn't mean that we also go looking for opposition now. Like those people that they see it everywhere, it's like they're always under attack. Like I hit three red lights on the way to church today, which means the enemy really doesn't want me to be here on time. No, that, you, that's time management. You need to leave earlier, <laughs> okay? Like sometimes we say that opposition, like sometimes it's our own not wise choices and we say that's the opposition from the enemy. No, no. We don't need to go looking for opposition. So I just want to clarify that. And please don't be those people that it's like they're always under attack and it's like every, we are, there is opposition. But you know what else? We're not victims either. The word says that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And Jesus says that in this world you will have trouble in John 16, But he says, take to heart because I have overcome the world. So yes, opposition. So what I am saying, I'm not saying go looking for it. What I am saying is if we are on a mission to fulfill God's purposes that remain in our generation and in our lifetime, which is my heart, then there will be opposition at some time and in some way. And just because there's opposition does not mean that God is not in it. It doesn't mean that's not, not, that he's not in what he's asked you to do. Are you with me? So opposition can stall the work that God is doing, like it stalled the rebuilding of the temple in Ezra. And my question to us is, as we go through this, is are we letting it? Are we letting opposition stall what God is doing? Have we become such feelers that the moment there's some resistance, we're like, ah, it's too hard. It's probably not meant to be. It feels too hard. That sounds like something my generation would say. No, nah, it just feels too hard. Um, and you know what? If it was man's idea or if it was your good idea, then opposition can squash it. But if it was God's idea, and if God is in it, and if it's his purpose, then persevere, because he's faithful to watch over his purposes and his plans. Don't let opposition stall God's purposes in your life. So the work of the rebuilding of the temple was stalled for about 14 years. But again, God doesn't leave them there even though they're stalled. Um, Why is that? Because, our first point, his purposes remain. So we pick back up in the story in Ezra chapter 5. God raises up two men, two prophets, to speak to his people. In Ezra 5 verse 1 it says, Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah the son of Edo, Prophesied to the Jews who are in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who is over them. Then it just says, Then Zerubbabel and Jeshua arose and began to rebuild the temple. So it was like, whoa, God speaks. And they start to do it again. Excuse me. The second truth that we can hold on to is that in the midst of opposition, in the midst of being stalled, God is still speaking. And the key here, so he speaks to remind us to help us get on track. But the key here is that we need to listen. We need to tune into what God is saying. And with my two-year-old um, daughter, Audrey, 
Sometimes toddlers have a hard time listening, and so I often look and I get eye contact with her. I've started doing this without even realizing it. Somehow you just become a mom, and you like play the mom role. But talking to her, I'm like, Audrey, looking at her, you need to listen, right, with your ears. And I just, even as I was preparing, I thought, church, we need to listen. Katie, we need to listen to what God is saying. Because in the midst of it all, he is still speaking. He is faithful to keep speaking. And, you know, what's so amazing is that the cease work order that the king had sent hasn't changed. So the circumstances naturally haven't changed. But when they heard the prophets speak and they listened to them, instead of to what the opposition was saying, all of a sudden they're like, yeah, okay. We can rebuild. We can do this. Strength rose up as they listen to the voice of God. And, you know, a common way that God speaks to us is through prophecy. We see here he uses two prophets. And he uses prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, And I think it's just such a beautiful picture because in verse 2 it says that the prophets were speaking with them and it says that they were with them, supporting them. I think that's a beautiful picture of what the prophetic should be. It comes alongside and it encourages and it strengthens what God is building and what he's rebuilding. It's supporting it. And, you know, prophecy that we believe in the New Covenant, New Testament, that its prophecy is to build up, to edify, and to encourage the body of Christ. And prophecy is a gift to us to reveal God's heart, sometimes in the midst of opposition, in the midst of the storm, In the midst of the battle, God is still speaking. Psalms 86, 7 says that in the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. I just want to encourage you that God is not playing hide and seek. And he's not playing the game telephone where we have to guess or the messages are getting, you know, mixed up as they go along through people. I think the more time we spend listening to God, the more we will hear. And, you know, Jesus says in John 10 that the sheep know my voice. And I think that is something we need to learn. We need to make sure as Christians, if we're going to be facing opposition, that we know his voice. And even yesterday morning, obviously, like I've had the preach and this Sunday on my mind a lot. Yesterday morning I woke up, literally the first thought in my head was, not of God. It was absolutely accusatory. It was something like, who are you to preach of things you don't understand or something? And I was just like, oh, like, yeah, who am I to preach of things I don't understand? Like, wow, there's a lot I don't understand. And then I thought, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Like this, wait, this isn't, this isn't God's tone. I know his voice. This is the accuser's voice. And right away, it didn't, it didn't stop me because it's like, I know that is not his voice. And sometimes we need to Just think about the way that we learn more about his voice and his tone so that we can recognize by getting into his word, because he speaks a lot through his word. Um, And I know, man, in my life, sometimes when I hear God the most is actually in times of opposition. And I don't know if that's because I need to hear it a lot or if it's because I am desperate and actively listening to God, being like, throw me a bone because I'm in the midst of it. And maybe it's a little bit of both. But, and I could go on about that. 
I'm getting the nod from Paul. Drink water, okay. <clears throat> I could go on, but yeah, in my life, <clears throat> I faced some opposition with my health. There was a couple years in my life I was really, really sick for, and you know what, I have more prophetic words over my life in those two years than any other time, hands down. God is faithful to speak to us in opposition, and his purposes remain despite opposition. And if you feel like you can't hear him, because I feel like sometimes there's times, go back and reflect on the last thing that he said to you and meditate on that and ask him to speak some more. Yeah. Don't let opposition be louder than God's voice in your life. One of the things that got me really excited and when this really started to click in me in preparing was when I actually started to read what these two prophets said. So Haggai and Zechariah. Because in Ezra 5, it's like the prophets spoke, and then it just says that they started to build again. But I was like, it doesn't tell us what they said. And I am a very curious being, as my husband well knows. He calls me Curious Katie Cat, which I think he's trying to like suggest what happens to the cat. Like I probably shouldn't be as curious. But um, what's awesome for me and for you is that the, we have the whole Word of God, and we believe the whole Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And these two prophets actually made the cut. <laughs> they each have a book in the Bible that records what they're saying to the people of Israel in the midst of opposition. So I don't have time to get in because it's literally two other books, but it's really cool when you hear what God is saying to them. And in Haggai, we're going to go over some highlights. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, there we go. Um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house, the Lord's house, lies in ruins? And he says, consider your ways. Pretty much, God speaking through Haggai is like, you guys are distracted. Like, you've been stalled for a while, and you're all consumed with building your own little kingdoms and your own little homes. And he calls them back to purpose and calls them back to what he was doing. And in preparing this, when I was reading it, I was like, I don't necessarily know if I feel like I'm in active opposition right now. facing all these things. And it got me thinking because I think those 14 years where the temple was stalled, where the rebuilding of the temple was stalled, I don't know if they felt active opposition. Um, and I was challenged because I thought, well, am I continuing to build what God has asked me? Am I continuing to be faithful with his purposes that he's spoken to me? Or am I maybe using their excuse of, well, you know, it's just the timing's off. The time isn't now. I know, I was challenged. Because I think when we're stalled, I don't think we feel opposition as much. If you think of floating down a river, we don't feel the opposition and of the current until we turn to swim upstream. So I'll leave that with you and say, consider your ways. What's amazing is that when God says, consider your ways to these people, they wake up, their hearts are stirred, they obey. And it says that they feared the Lord. And then in Haggai 
chapter 1, verse 13, and this is for me where it's like, wow, was, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. And as he says, I am with you, then it says that he stirred up the Spirit. As God declares that he is with his people, it's like hearts wake up again after those 14 years of being stalled. They're waking up again to God's purposes, and courage starts to rise. This is where they start to rebuild. God reassures them, and he declares that I am with you. In the midst of opposition, he is with you. He's not just speaking from heaven. He actually sent his spirit to be with us, to be with us in the midst of the storm. And yesterday at the ladies' time um, over at the J, Jenny was sharing, and she did an incredible job just sharing about God being with us in the midst of our pain. Um, And that's where all these scriptures came from, um, is what she was sharing. But it's just incredible because, you know, one of the things that she said yesterday that I was like, absolutely. She said one of the biggest lies that the enemy tells us, one of the biggest lies of opposition, says that we are alone. That nobody knows what we're going through, that nobody could ever understand. And that, I agree with her, is absolutely a lie. Because you are not alone. God is declaring, I am with you. And let me tell you, when the God of the universe... The God of creation says, I am with you. You guys, little else should matter. I am with you. And then in Haggai, it actually keeps going. Well, I'll just kind of breeze over, but in Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong. Be strong, all you people of the land. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Guys, this is Old Testament. This is a big deal for God's spirit to remain in your midst. We're so comfortable with having the presence and the Holy Spirit. We're incredibly blessed. But this was a big deal for God to say, my spirit will remain in your midst. Then what does he say? Fear not. We skip down to verse 9. It says, in this place I will give you declares the Lord of hosts. So in the midst of opposition, I am with you. In the midst of opposition, I will give you peace. And in Zechariah, it says something similar of, I will come, I will dwell in your midst. I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. So to a people who had been in exile, who had screwed up, who had lost the plot, who were stalled, God just says, my spirit remains in your midst, and I am still with you. And that promise to be with his people is woven throughout the Bible, and it's for us to stand on today in the midst of whatever we're facing and whatever opposition is coming against us. This word is full of promises of God saying, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
In Matthew 28, 20, he says, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't let opposition stall the purposes of God for your life. In the midst of opposition, God, God's purposes remain. God is still speaking, and he is with you always, always. And my prayer this morning in leading up to this time was that God would just be like in this story of stirring hearts, that awakening hearts, that he would just be waking people up today, reminding them what his purposes are in your life. And I feel like there's two groups of people that maybe God wants to speak to specifically. And the first group is that maybe you feel like things are just a bit stalled in your life. Um, maybe because of opposition or distraction, but you've actually lost sight of what some of those purposes are and what he's asked you to do. And for some people, they've been stalled for quite some time, like this is actually a familiar place. And I just believe that there's a fresh grace here today for you, for God to awaken those things again, those things that he spoke to you maybe years ago. And the second group of people are maybe those who feel like when I talk about opposition, you're like, you don't need to explain anything to me because I know exactly what that is because I'm in the midst of it right now. I'm feeling in the thick of it. And I'm swimming upstream and I'm stepping out and it's like, bam, there's opposition, there's opposition. And I just feel like for those people, God wants to strengthen you today and he wants to pour faith into you today and pour courage into you today. Say that I am with you. I am with you always. So I'm going to hand it over to Paul. I'm just going to ask if the worship team would come up and I'm going to take a minute and respond to that this morning. I just feel like God is speaking quite clearly and we don't want to move without giving opportunity. Just as the team comes up, just the two things that she referenced, the, the first one, to just do business with God. That was something stirring in your heart in just response to what Katie had shared. Just encourage you to do that right where you are. But if there's something specific that you want people to stand with you in prayer for, then we want to be obedient and do that. You are not alone as you're seeing this whole morning. We have God with us, and he actually places us in community, in family. And we want to pray with you. So... Just as the team leads us in some worship this morning, I encourage you to do business with God where you are, worship where you are. But if you want prayer, I'm just going to ask if you'd come up front. I'm just going to try and get as much away from these main speakers because it's loud. Just in the corners, if you will. I'm just going to ask our leadership team if you want to come and, and pray with people. Uh, I'm trusting that people will respond this morning. So if you're here this morning, you're part of our leadership team, come and join us for prayer. I'm just going to ask if you stand and let's worship the Lord.